We will now have our reading, and then so Debbie's going to come and speak to us. There are two readings from Acts. The first is from Acts 1, and is a single verse, just verse 8, and comes under the section, Jesus taken up into heaven. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. second reading is from Acts 2 and is verses 22 to 40 and comes under the section entitled Peter Addresses the Crowd. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, you will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There we go. What do you do when you come across a homeless Polish man in Princess Street Gardens, Edinburgh, and you want to help him? That was the dilemma that faced my family when I was about 10 years of age. We were in, in, on a day trip to Edinburgh. We were living in Stirling and had a day trip to Edinburgh. It didn't happen very often, but we were there, so a great excitement. We'd done something in the morning, can't remember what having our picnic in Princess Street Gardens, and we were aware of um, this man sitting near us who looked quite sad, quite lonely. My parents, being who they were, started talking to him, realized there wasn't much language, could find a little bit of French in common, and started having some level of communication. Discovered he was Polish, he was homeless. I think he had a dog with him, but my memory might be wrong on that. He was hungry, we gave him some of our lunch, but he had nowhere to stay, and we wanted to help him. We didn't live in Edinburgh, our car was full, there was five of us plus our dog, what on earth did we do? Answer, take him to Brother Damien. Who on earth was Brother Damien? Brother Damien was a friend of ours that we'd come to know, he was a Franciscan friar, and he lived in Edinburgh in one of the council estates with three or four other Franciscan friars. And they were called there. They felt that God wanted them to be there. And they lived in Pilton. They lived out their faith simply by being there and living and responding to whatever came across their path. They lived the gospel incarnationally. That meant they lived it as Christ living amongst them and Christ living in their lives and reaching out to other people. So they were good at helping people in need. So we took our Polish man there, had a cup of tea with Brother Damien, and we left this man where he stayed for a few days until he was more sorted out. We kept in touch with Brother Damien, and true enough, this man regained his strength, had some good night's sleep, had a bit of food. I have no idea what happened to him beyond that. I was aged about 10. But Brother Damien offered something that we couldn't offer. And part of what he was able to offer was part of what was rooted in their understanding of being Franciscan friars. They followed the teachings of St. Francis, whose day is actually on Tuesday, 4th of October, is when we remember St. Francis of Assisi. And St. Francis was famous for lots of things. He loved animals, and if you see paintings of him, it's often surrounded by animals. He'd been a rich man who'd been very confronted with um, seeing poverty and actually gave up all his wealth and lived a simple life of poverty 
and obedience to Christ. And people began to follow in his way. And so Brother Damien was one of those who had followed the example of St. Francis. And one of the things that St. Francis said was this, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Incredible statement. And something that we saw in the life of Brother Damien, he radiated the love of Christ by simply living amongst people, by opening up the house, taking in anybody in need. And sometimes he would use words. But people were enveloped in the love of Christ through the way that Brother Damien and his fellow friars were living out the gospel, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. He was quite a character, Brother Damien, and I will just make this aside, nothing to do with today's sermon, but it did make me laugh. He was a great rugby fan, and um, friends in Edinburgh who had a bit of money took him along to one of the rugby matches at Murrayfield, uh, and the TV screen picked him up because he was in his brown habit, and we were watching the match at home, and suddenly caught sight of Brother Damien, beer in hand, cheering at the rugby. So he was real character. He sadly died last year. But he lived out his faith by being who he was and by radiating the love of Christ. He has already helped us think about game changers and what it means to be a game changer. And for the next few weeks throughout, uh, the, until the end of November, we're going to be thinking about game changers. If you're in a home group, you may well be looking through. This is the book that we're using as our base, and there's some really good things in that. So I'd encourage you in your home groups to, to get these books and to think through, because it'll take us wider than I can cover this morning. But to think about what it meant to be a game changer for the early church, and therefore what does it mean for us to be game changers here in our situations? In the early church, proclamation of the gospel went alongside incarnation and transformation. What it meant to be the early church meant living the Christian life, simply living it out. And people saw transformed lives and the church grew. Sounds really simple, doesn't it? The church grows when we live out our, our Christian life in our day-to-day -day living when our lives are changed and when that is seen by others and they are drawn to it because they're drawn to Christ and the church grows. So we're going to start by looking at Peter, who's a great encouragement to us all. I love Peter because Peter kept getting it wrong. I think if God used him to be one of the best game changers of the early church, there's hope for us all. And we pick up, we've had one verse um, read from the beginning of Acts, and then we moved on to the end of chapter 2. What we missed out was the whole of Pentecost. The first verse was the promise that Christ gave as he was ascending to be back in heaven. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What a promise to these bereft disciples who'd watched Jesus die who'd seen him risen from dead, not quite understanding what was happening, and then saw him ascended into heaven, and who are now terrified, wondering what was next. Were their lives at risk? Were they going to be killed because of their beliefs? 
the fear and trepidation that they were living under. And they were gathered together in a room. Must have reminded them of being gathered together with Jesus at the Last Supper. But they were gathered together and the Spirit came down in power. And the room was filled with what looked like fire, tongues of flame and a wind that blew through. No doubting something amazing was happening. This is what God had promised. This is what Jesus had said would happen. I am leaving you, but you will be given something precious. The power will come upon you and you will be able to witness to me as a result of what this Holy Spirit does within your lives. And our second reading, the longer reading, is an immediate outcome of what happens when the power of the Spirit comes, comes upon Peter in this case. Now, who was Peter? We first learn of Peter as a fisherman. We gain from that that he hadn't made it as many of the others. The aim for Jewish boys was to be a disciple of a rabbi. But you had to learn your scriptures. You had to memorize from heart the books of the Old Testament. And if you didn't, you couldn't then live your life as a disciple of a rabbi and you return to your family profession. So in a sense, we meet Peter early on, recognizing that he hasn't quite passed the 11 plus, hasn't got the grades he needed for the university he wanted to go to. He hasn't quite done what he might have wished to do. But actually, his family's doing okay. They have a business. So we can't feel too sorry for him. But intellectually, he's not at the top end of where they all were. So he's back with the family business. He's a fisherman, and he does it well. That's all he's expecting to do until Jesus comes along. And Jesus comes and says, come and follow me. And that was the invitation of rabbis when they knew somebody was actually had the intellectual ability to follow them, they'd say, come, come and be my disciple. So for Peter, he's thinking, I haven't made the mark. I haven't cut it. And yet I'm now being invited to be a disciple. So he charges off and his brother's following in his wake and his friends. And he joins Jesus and spends three years traveling with Jesus, being outspoken, getting it wrong, that lovely example of when the guard comes to arrest Jesus and Peter thinks, I'm not having this, cuts off his ear. And Jesus says, no, Peter, you've got this wrong. This is part of the plan and restores the ear to the guard. Peter's always out there at front. He's always got something to say. He's robust, but he denies Jesus at one point. The hardest thing he goes through is recognizing that he's actually forsaken his Lord and his master. And the agony of going through that experience outside the court as Jesus is being tried. And that restoration on the beach when Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Care for my flock. And Peter's on a mission. So from fisherman to disciple and now to preacher, standing up in front of the crowd, He's the one that gets out there and says, listen guys, something amazing has happened. And I have a, an amazing message. No longer are they stuck in the room in fear and trepidation of what's going to happen. They're out there 
They want people to know the reality of Jesus in their lives. They know Jesus. And now, empowered by the Spirit, they want to share that. And Peter stands up and preaches. As we carry on throughout this, the book of Acts, we'll realize he becomes a church planter. That's beginning here. But more and more, the early church, Peter is one of the key people that makes that happen. What a change. What a transformation. But in some ways, it's not as radical as we might think. And one of the things I think we struggle with as Christians is that we think that becoming more and more like Christ means that we stop being more and more like who we truly are. And that's the lie of the devil. Because actually, who we truly are is who God has made us. So that transformation is more about becoming who we truly are. Shedding some of the stuff that isn't good and helpful. Some of the the constrictions we place on our own lives that say, I couldn't possibly do that. God knows who we are. And transformation is more about becoming more and more of that. And I would like to use the word renewing. It's a renewing of who we truly are. The core of Peter remains the same. Yes, he's got greater boldness. Yes, he's got greater eloquence. Yes, he's got the ability to strategize and and build new churches. But he remains who he truly is. That passion that many got things wrong will still mean he gets things wrong. But it's that passion that he speaks from. He's not the theologian of the New Testament. There are others who will come that will do that. What Paul writes is much more theological. What some of the other letters, John, is much more theological. Peter speaks, yes, because he's a speaker. But he speaks from his heart. So this first sermon isn't a crafted theological piece. It's a passion from the heart. And you can almost hear it rising up. People of Israel, listen. Listen to the truth that I know. This is what you believe, because we've all been brought up to believe this. This is what we've been told about David. But even David predicted what would happen. And let me tell you, I am a witness that this has happened. He's speaking passionately, as he always has. And God has renewed that passion and that skill and that desire to speak has honed it through the power of the Spirit and given him the platform to be able to speak it more widely. He isn't a Mr. Ben. This is showing my age. Mr. Ben went to the shop every day and went into the changing room and walked out as a completely different person. Sorry, Adam, you probably don't know Mr. Ben. (laughs) Mr. Ben was a children's program. And he would go in and he would come out as the cowboy or he'd come out as the knight and he'd go off and have these adventures. And he'd come at the end, go back into the changing room and come out as that quiet little Mr. Ben who'd go back to his house where life was quite mundane and not very interesting. He became somebody completely different each time in order to experience those things. And that's not what Christian transformation is about. Christian transformation is about becoming more and more who we are. So actually I become more Debbie. I don't become a different person. As I grow through my Christian life, who I truly am, if I let God do this, if I open myself to the power of the Spirit, shines through more and more. 
So it's a renewing of, how, of who I really am deep down, not a complete change, that I walk into one room and come out as a different being. And that's actually quite reassuring. Peter lived his life as he always had done. And now he knew the experience of Christ in his life, and so he lived his life incarnationally, being who Christ had made him to be and being Christ to those around him. And yes, he spoke about it too. But when we read the descriptions of the early church, we read as much about how they lived as about what they say. The disciples spent time together for teaching, fellowship, meals and prayer. They cared for one another and people noticed and the church grew. Here are some verses from later on. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed, enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And then finally, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Lots was happening. It must have been an amazing time to live. Terrifying as well, because they were facing um, persecution and facing people trying to stop what they were doing. But God, through the power of his spirit, was doing a mighty work in the early church. And day by day, it grew and grew. Because of people like Peter, who was prepared to be a game changer, who was prepared to say, I've got something precious, that I want to help other people be drawn towards. And I'll do that by the way I live my life. And I'll do that by the words that I use. And the church grew and grew. If you were here last week, you remember that Guilford Diocese is launching a vision. And it's not a vision that is startlingly different. Again, it's not a Mr. Ben. Suddenly we're something else. It's actually, let's be who we truly are. Let's be the church that God has made us to be. And let's do it with boldness and creativity and imagination. And as we do that, let's trust that others will be drawn, not to church, but to Christ. Because that's what's really important. It's not just about filling numbers on a Sunday so we can fill in our October count, which we need to do and say, fantastic, our register says X number of members. That is a sign of growth. But actually what we're really about as church is helping people meet Christ. And we need to be game changers for that to grow, each and every one of us. Our calling is to be a game changer for Christ so that more will come and find him. Now when I say that, depending on your personality, some will be going, yes, can't wait. And others will be going, oh my goodness, the last thing in my life I could be is a game changer. And there'll be a whole lot of people in the middle. I think we're all game changers. I think we're all called to be game changers. 
And for some, it will be a dramatic thing, a dramatic way in which we operate as a game changer. For others, it will be just living the lives that we live. Brother Damien was an amazingly special man. But he would have said, I don't do anything. All I do is live. All I do is live quite simply amongst people who are broken and I'm willing to care for them. Now I look at him and think, I could never have done that because that's not what God is asking of me. And that's the other thing. When we're doing what God asks us to do, it's natural because it's who we truly are. So again, we play it down and think, and actually, God is saying, you are, because you are being you, as I have made you. And that will look different to the person next to you. But if we each take hold of this idea that we're game changers, that we have the potential to change lives, it frees up that ability to see us as we truly are. You will know people in your lives that have made a difference, that have had an impact and I would imagine that there'll be some that have been quite dramatically so. But there'll be others that have just been simply being who they are. And that has had an impact on you, perhaps at a particular time on your life, that has helped you on your journey. They might not even know the impact it has had. They've just been themselves. I want to tell you about one person who's had an impact on me in that way. If you were at Encounter, you would have heard about her. A very, very dear friend of mine who lives in Guildford. And when we moved to Guildford, we moved with very small children. We moved with Tom, who was two, and Johnny, who was four and a half. And we moved two days before Christmas, so it was quite difficult. We got all our stuff unloaded into our house and then drove to Paul's parents to spend Christmas Day. Came back after Christmas and had to make our home a home with all the Christmas season going on and then Johnny started school in the January it was when there was still a staggered intake and he was due to start school which is why we were rushing to get in before Christmas not ideal I have to say we moved so um, so he started school in the January not knowing anybody not knowing anybody in the class and you can imagine what that was like me leaving him on his first day in this town he didn't know, with people he didn't know, and he did really well. What I didn't think about was what it was like for me. I was so conscious of him that actually I was also standing in the playground not knowing a single person. And day one that didn't matter because my focus was on him, but on day two I kind of looked around and thought, oh, I don't really know anybody here, a bit strange for me too. But we were on our roll, we were getting things going. And my friend Nicola, who is now my friend, on the second day came and spoke to me in the playground. You have no idea what that meant. When somebody comes and talks to you, when you don't know a single person, and she said to me, I don't recognise you. Everybody else had been at the nursery, that's the other bit I didn't say. All the other children and parents knew one another because there was a nursery. So I was the only person coming into school and, and Johnny was the only one who was new in the class. And she came and spoke to me in the playground and said, not seen you before, who are you? So I said, oh, we've just moved in. And she said, why don't you come and have coffee tomorrow? And I went and had coffee in her house. 
I, I went for a walk with Nicola on Friday and I was reminding her of this. Because again, she tells me, she said, I don't do anything. I'm not good. I can't do this and I can't do that. And look what you're doing. And oh my goodness me. I said, Nicola, you are who you are. I said, you, you invited me for coffee when I didn't know a single person. She said, oh, that was easy. You look nice. <laughs> I said, but I don't do that. I don't go up to strangers and invite them for coffee. I don't do that. And she said, that's easy. That's nothing great. I said, but it is great because you welcome me in. You gave me a place to begin to belong in a new time. The other side of this is that we discovered over you know, a couple of coffees that, that she went to church too, that we both had, were Christians. And she was going to church at St. Saviour's. And we were going to a different church. Now, partly through knowing Nicola, we ended up at St. Saviour's. There's other things as well, but I knew of St. Saviour's and what it was like because of what Nicola had been telling me. My journey to ordination took a massive step forward at St. Saviour's. I came onto staff as the family and children's worker and from then had the sense of call to ordination, did my training at St. Saviour's, served my curacy at St. Saviour's and then had the joy of coming here. But St. Saviour's has been an important place on my journey. And when I think back, you know, Yes, it could have happened. I could still have ended up there. Yes, I could have been in another church and the journey could have happened. But inviting me for coffee on my second day at school was possibly the start of a journey that has led me to stand here today. And Nicola says, that's nothing. All I did was invite you for coffee. But that's the thing. We don't know when we're being a game changer. If we are being who we are and if we are sharing the love of Christ... He will use us where we are by living the life and, when necessary, using words. So I am convinced that you've had people like my Nicola in your life. What I'd love you to do just now is just have a think about who that is. Think of one person who, by a kind word or by being there when you needed them or, I don't know, when you were in hospital, the way a nurse treated you, remember something that had an impact in a simple way, tell the person next to you who that was. Just a little bit about that. We don't normally do this, so this is scary, isn't it? Let's get out of our comfort zone and let's talk to one another. You talk before the service, you talk afterwards, so actually let's do it now. Turn to the person next to you and just share something about one person who's had an impact in some amazing way or some very simple way on your life. Go for it. Okay, do you want to come back together? <coughs> I know that's a little bit unusual to ask you to suddenly think about an application in a sermon when we haven't even finished the sermon. Why I wanted you to do that, for some of you that will have been really easy, for others it will have felt slightly uncomfortable, and apologies if you felt slightly uncomfortable. But why I wanted you to do that was because I wanted you to think of somebody 
who's actually had an impact in your life, who's been a game changer for you. And my guess would be for many of you, it was something that they did that was actually just very normal and natural to them. It wasn't anything radical. Sometimes the biggest influences in our lives are the simplest. And if you were to go back to that person, I wonder if they even realized the impact on your life that they have had. I'm sure there are people in your lives who won't have realized how you've talked about them just now. And why I want you to know that is because then we can begin to believe that we can be game changers simply by being who we are and by living as Christ has made us to be. Because when we begin a series called Game Changers, 90% of us will say, not for me. I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. That's for people who stand up and preach. And this is not what this is about. This is about recognizing that each one of us has the power to be a game changer. And that's the most exciting thing going. Yes, we've got to be willing to do it. Yes, we've got to be open to God in our lives. Yes, we need to become living more Christ-like lives. You know, the sort of theological word for that is we need to become holier. Holiness is important. Being set apart for God. Choosing to live well. But also recognizing the way in which God has made us. We might want to use the word giftings. But that again is about who we truly are. Some of us find hospitality easy. Some of us find speaking easy. Some of us find pastoral care just comes naturally. It flows out of us. That is who we are in Christ. And being a game changer means seeing what that is and living it. And the early church grew, yes, through people speaking, but as much as that about living the Christian life. If we truly want to see the kingdom grow, if we truly want more and more people to come and know Christ, we've got a part to play in that. Each and every one of us. And it will be in the simple things as well as sometimes the more difficult. There are times when God pushes us out of our comfort zone. Kia might not be overly comfortable this morning, standing up here, but she knows God's called her to do that. And as we stood out in the porch, she said, a bit nervous. And she has to be willing to overcome that. And so there are occasions, and that's not always for leading services, but there are occasions when we are pushed out of our comfort zone. For me, it might be approaching a stranger in the playground and saying, would you like to come for coffee? Because I'm really quite shy. It's easier to stand up here and talk to a lot of people than to go up to a stranger and say, hello, who are you? And there are times when I need to do that, to move out of my comfort zone. But actually, what I really need to focus on is developing who I truly am, knowing who I am in God, knowing who he has made me to be, and saying, yes, I will be that person, and I will develop that for you, Lord. Because when I do that, Christ shines through me. And just by living, I can have an impact on people's lives doesn't rule out never saying anything. That is not what I'm saying. 
Because when we live the life, and it's so natural and so instinctive, the language and the words come. Peter could stand up and speak because he told his story. He hadn't gone to college. He hadn't read the books. He didn't know the theological terminology and he couldn't have found the places in the Bible and quoted the verses. So he spoke from his heart. And at the end of the day, that's all we need to do as well. So when we live the lives and people notice it and they say, I really can't understand why it is you seem to be so calm when you're facing redundancy. Or why you can still smile when you've got such loss in your life. We don't come out with a tome on the theory of suffering. But we come out with saying, I can only do it because I know God. Because I know the power of Christ's love in my life which pours into me which makes me able to still smile when it looks hopeless. It means I can cling on with my fingertips when other people are turning to other addictions to help them through. We tell our story. And we earn the right to tell our story by living as we live. And in doing so, we are all game changers. So I'm afraid there's no ducking out this series. We're going to learn how to be that more and more. And I'd love for you to join me on this journey. I love thinking more and more about, well, who am I, God? What are you asking of me? And how might I do that better? It's quite a simple journey. But it does take commitment and dedication. So if you're in a home group, really dig down into some of these questions. Be honest with one another. Because we're here as a fellowship to support one another. We're all here for the same reason, as part of God's hands and feet, as we've talked about in the confession this morning. We are his hands, his feet, his body here on earth. And we do that together. So a home group is a place to actually say, do you know, I really find that's hard. I'm really struggling to actually believe what Debbie was saying. Is that right? Be honest with one another. Come back to me. Let's have a conversation. Let's talk about how we can support each other in the different situations that we're in. Let's not try and all be the same because we're not made to be the same. Let's rejoice in our diversity and our differences because God will use that in different ways. But as we journey and believe that we are each a game changer and we open ourselves to the power of the Spirit to work through us, just think what could happen. Just think of the growth of others knowing Christ, becoming more Christ-like, the impact on our communities. What an exciting adventure. So let's believe that we can be game changers. Let's go away today with a mantra, I am a game changer. Let's be excited about that. Let's be excited about who God has made us, what we know of him. Let's live it out. Let's let, live it out in this place and in the places that he puts us on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And let's speak from our hearts when those opportunities arise. Let's know our story and let's be willing to share and speak from our heart as Peter did. And let's see our communities changed.
Amen.